Hello friends and welcome to the show. I'm your host Justin aka Just Tries and we're always talking vulnerability, learning and growth mindset. No sponsors just yet so go to justkeeplearning.ca for coaching and content geared toward helping you not just set goals but achieve them too. We have a goal to help millions of people be lifelong learners and get their ambitions off the ground so be sure to hit us up and let us know how we can help. Our guest today uses social media to drive traffic that leads to business results for his clients. He built his digital agency while completing university and works with brands big and small. He's an expert in all things social media, brand awareness, and digital marketing. As a former athlete and hip-hop artist, he has a powerful growth mindset. He knows a lot about learning and has some great ideas for how to prepare people more effectively for the real world. Like all of our guests, most importantly, he is a great example of following your dreams while being a good person along the way. We talked about deciding to be his own boss, why social media can be valuable for anyone, and how to get started growing your brand as a creative. Please welcome to episode 5 of the Learn Podcast, Hayden Cashin. If you ran into Gary V in a wine store and he asked who you are and what do you do, what would your answer be? <laughs> I like how it's in a wine store. Um, what I would say is I use Facebook, Instagram, and Google ads to drive business results for my clients. As simple as that. Businesses that you're working with typically right now, are you open to any business or are you pretty specific? Yeah, I'm open to any business. What I've found uh, so far is the businesses that make the most sense for me are ones that need low sales volume because they have high margin. So for instance, car dealerships, wedding venues, real estate, things of that nature versus low margin, high volume, like a coffee shop, for instance. In terms of the ROI for your effort in building your own business? Yeah, just because like Facebook and Instagram and Google, the real advantage to it is that it's so cheap to reach so many people. So it makes it pretty easy to get one sale so if it's high margin, it's easy to kind of get your ROI versus something that's low margin and offline specifically, right? So if, if you're running ads in a local area to drive people into a coffee shop or into a restaurant, a lot of times it just takes um, kind of a waiting period of people seeing and seeing and seeing and seeing the ads and building that up. So it's not really like instantaneous ROI and a lot of clients um, might not be able to wait that long. Or they just might not want to wait that long. So in the other industries, they, they tend to be more patient because they have high margins and they don't expect sales the next day. Um, and then once you crack the code of figuring out the ads, then um, then it, it just becomes kind of easy to scale. Yeah, uh, That makes sense. Beyond what you do now, you've done a lot of things in life. Having done my research, listened to some other podcasts, you, you know, followed some of your content. Just take us through the quick summary from little Hayden to where you are today and the things that you've done. And yeah, for sure. So I went to the university of Ottawa for marketing while I was doing marketing. I didn't know exactly where within marketing I wanted to go. Uh, I got an email by accident about this digital marketing certification that I could do um, through the summer that wasn't mandatory, but it was a partnership with an agency. It was the first time they're rolling it out. And the reason I got the email by accident was because it was geared towards graduate students, which I wasn't at the time. So I replied to the email and said, look, I'm not a graduate student, but this sounds really interesting. Um, I'd like to take a stab at it. And they said, you know what, apply. We'll see what happens. We don't really know what to expect. So I applied. I got in, um, went through it. It was about 11 weeks, 20 hours a week. And then through that, I got an internship with OSEG, which owns um, the Red Blacks, 67s, 
uh, the former Fury. They do a bunch of concerts and events uh, here in Ottawa. So through through that experience working there, I got placed on digital ads. So since I have so many events going on all the time, I just got to set up campaigns, set up campaigns, set up campaigns, and optimize, optimize, optimize. So every single day, it was like I was learning, I was learning, I was learning, I was learning, and I was really sharpening my sword for what I would eventually, you know, create into my own business. Um, at, at one point, working at Oseg, uh, I started getting a couple clients on the side, some restaurants. And that was interesting as well, because what they were looking for from me was more of like the full package of marketing. At Oseg, I was just kind of a piece in the puzzle. Whereas for the restaurants, they wanted, you know, the whole strategy part. They wanted um, strategy for content. They wanted to know what we should do organically. Then they want to run the ads. Then they want to measure all the way and use those insights. So I, I was looking at the whole whole project and I got a taste of what it's like to be a consultant. So I really enjoyed doing that. So I reached out to one of my pro- my profs at the time at U Ottawa and I said, uh, because he used to be a marketing consultant. And I was like, hey, look, I'm doing this consulting. I'm really enjoying it. Um, do you have any, you know, words of advice on how I can kind of grow this? And he gave me some great advice, but what ended up ended up happening is three weeks later, he reached out to me because someone had reached out to him for him to potentially be a marketing consultant for them. He referred them to me. And then I basically applied to work at this agency in Montreal, uh, leading a project with CPAC, which is the Canadian public affairs channel, or the cable public affairs channel, basically building um, their social media um and their paid advertising strategy because they were primarily television. They saw where the world was going and they wanted to kind of build up the online assets. So that was interesting too, because now I wasn't just going front to back for a restaurant, but I was doing it for a full television network that broadcasts nationally. You know, I was doing interviews with everyone in the company, understanding all their pain points and really like crafting a, a big strategy that took, you know, three months just to build the strategy and then starting to implement it piece by piece. You know, we identified 26 different content buckets just within the one organization that we had to build specific strategies for each of it is very big um, but we had a lot of success with it and while we were doing it um, kind of word got out of what of what I was up to and, and I had some more people reaching out to me asking me to help them with their businesses so then it kind of made sense at one point for me to just start my own business because I had a little bit of demand and I could kind of match my salary and then scale it because I would be working a lot less than what I was doing currently and so that's what I did. And I was still a student that whole time. I just, um, so I started, started that in January, 2019 and then graduated in January or April, 2019. And yeah, I've been doing this business for about a year and a half now, almost. Let's talk about that idea of often having a boss and deciding to go do your own thing and start your own business. What was that process like? For me, deciding to start my own business, I'm I'm the type of person that I always want to be challenged. I need to be challenged. And I had felt that at OSEG, like I said, I was just a piece in the puzzle. And then I learned to do a full project. And then once I did that, I wanted to do a bigger project. And I, and I was looking for that challenge. And once I kind of did the bigger project, the next step was to start my own business, right? And and I just felt like I kept learning, plateauing, learning, plateauing, learning, plateauing. And I, for me, I need to keep learning. I just can't be stagnant or else I'm just not happy. So um, for me... Um, I kind of had to make that jump. I wasn't planning on making it as early as I did. The reason I did make it that early was because I had demand and it it just made sense as well financially. Um, so I knew I was going to make it and it was like no time like the present, right? So I just did it. And I feel like when you're young is the time to take as much risk as possible because my business failed. Like I would just go get another job. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. I didn't have all these things relying on me. So I was able to just go full risk and 
for me, I didn't really care if it failed and people laughed at me. I'm okay with, with judgment. And so that's what holds a lot of people back as well. So since I was okay with that, didn't have you no know, things attached to me, I, I just went for it. Right. And I think that's advice that I give youth a lot in terms of taking the chances when you're younger. Um, if you were giving advice to someone older who does have those things, house, kids, you know, what would you say in terms of still following your passions? I would say like you have to map towards your happiness and towards your ambition level, right? So if you're happy working nine to five doing whatever, because you like the job, say you enjoy the job. And then you also like having a bunch of time on the side to either play video games or hang out with your kids or go camping or skiing or whatever else you like. Like if you're happy, um, then that's cool. You, you found a great balance and that's all that really matters. Now, if you're not happy, what you have to do is in the short term, overwork yourself in the hours that you're not at work, right? Because you're at work because you have to provide for the things that are depending on you. Um, but then when you're out of work is when you can start building your dream. And basically you want to have your say, whatever you're making here, and you want to start building up your dream to eventually get to a point where you can match it or, you know, cover all your expenses and then transition into it and then grow it. Right. So I would say in the short term, you just have to work really hard in the evenings and weekends to start building it up. And then when you transition, you can go back to a more stable life. So it might be unhealthy in, in the short term, but if, if you're unhappy in your job, then I think your long-term happiness is worth that short-term pain. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so you talked learning and plateauing, learning and plateauing. A big tie-in for this podcast is education. So let's talk school a little bit. What were some teachers that had impact on you in high school? Mm, that's interesting. Like, I wouldn't even say teachers. I was more influenced by like my coaches in sports. I was in, I was influenced by music artists. Music really got me. Um, I did have one teacher. I don't know what he saw in me, but he just told me that he thought I was going to be very successful. And this was, you know, I was just a regular high school kid. Like he just, he just told me that. And I don't know, like, I don't think I've ever really looked up to people that are in my immediate circle too much. A lot of the times it is like leaders just in the world that I get, um, that I admire and, and want to be like. And I think for me, like, I'm not the type of person who can necessarily do something if I haven't seen it done before. If that makes sense. And that's never something that I've said publicly, but I look at certain individuals and if they remind me of myself and they've accomplished whatever I'm seeking to accomplish, then to me, it seems super easy and super possible. Even though it might not be super easy, I just be like, oh yeah, if they did it, then I can do it. Like there's nothing that will stop me if I'm willing to put in the work behind it, I'll eventually get there, right? Maybe they did it in five years and it'll take me 10 years, but I can still get there if I just put the work in. So, um, for me, I would just always look up to people who were doing what I aspired to do. And if I felt like they had similar circumstances to me, therefore I could do the same thing, then I could just do it. You mentioned coaches. Like, what did you learn from sport that you felt did have an impact on you? From like age nine to age 16 or so, I played super competitive soccer. When I was 13, I represented Team Canada in like the under 13 World Cup in France and played a bunch of, of different countries, which was really cool. Um, and what that kind of highly competitive soccer taught me was a discipline because we practiced five days a week and then we would play in Toronto on the weekends if we were away or they would come here for your home. So it's just discipline, hard work, um, respect, teamwork, understanding that, 
even if you're a leader on the team, you're still a piece of the puzzle. You know, they're, they're not working for you. You're still working all together, even if you are, you know, a captain or an assistant captain. So it just really taught me teamwork and, 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 and working together. Um, and I think, interestingly enough, from soccer, I transitioned into skateboarding. Um, I was really passionate about skateboarding for six or seven years from about age 13 to maybe age 18. Um, became sponsored. I won one contest, which was my claim to fame. And what I liked about skateboarding, aside from soccer, is that you could be completely creative. You could be completely free. You didn't have a coach that was telling you anything. If you went to the skate park, you would see people from all different walks of life, but they were all supportive. They all loved each other because it all revolved around this one thing. And you can skate a bunch of different ways. Like you can skate in a half pipe. You can hit the benches. You can do manuals. You can jump downstairs. You can skate flat ground. So you can just kind of express yourself however you want. Everyone was supportive. No one's trying to beat each other. No one's competitive. So I really like that aspect. Um, and then from there, I actually transitioned into music, which was another kind of solo sport. And it was creative again. So I think I've always been naturally drawn to being on my own and being creative which I think has transitioned into this business as well. And then from there is when I kind of started tasting business and then moved out of music and, and more into the business world. One of the things that I think is neat is that a lot of people do that um, with a lot of schooling and some with less. Um, where do you lie on this argument of people going to college? Because there's a big culture of like anti-college right now. I think you have to once again map to your ambition. Um, and understand what the landscape in the real world is for that ambition, right? I think college and university is still, you know, a very viable path for things that require those those types of degrees. Um, doctors, lawyers, scientists, um, some businesses, you know, like the Bain and McKinsey's and the Boston Consultings and stuff like that. But, you know, some of the biggest companies in the world, Apple, IBM, um, I believe Amazon don't require a college education anymore to be able to apply for these jobs. And I think it's just because the infrastructure that college and university sit on was not built to be so rapidly changing. And it made sense back in the day before the internet when the world moved a lot slower. And also you couldn't get information at your fingertips. It made sense for all these people to come together. Whereas now, if you just think about it, like it doesn't make sense to go to a central location to learn. We all have the internet. All the information's on the internet. And when the world's changing so rapidly, it makes more sense to actually just use the internet to learn. Because when I was in school, just not even two years ago, you know, my marketing class consisted of, of looking at print ads and talking about print ads, um, talking about radio, talking about newspapers and billboards. Um, social media was more of a, a another thing you could do, but it, it wasn't a, a key factor. I We never talked about Facebook ads ever once in university, right? And I don't fault university for it. It's the structure of it, right? And at the end of the day, university is a business. So university just has to sell the parent a lot of the times on, on the value proposition. And the parent is easily influenced by it because when they were kids – it made sense. The internet wasn't there. That piece of paper actually got you a job. So they'd still have that mindset and they put that on their kids. Whereas we're kind of the first generation that's experiencing going through school, having a degree and going, whoa, wait, I can't get a job. 
I just, I just went through school. I have the degree. Why can't I get the job? Right. And so I think we're at a time now where when we become parents and have kids going through college and university, we're not going to force them to go to college or university. We're going to be a lot more open to exploring other options. Um, and something else that I see too, is like the professors now have the leverage if they want to come together and create a specialized academy on the internet where they have all, all the brain power and they don't need a central location to have all the kids to come to, um, they can become, you know, the digital marketing Academy of Canada, for instance, and have a bunch of students just tune in online. And as long as they get accredited by, you know, the apples, the IBMs, the Amazons, the Boston consultings, all of a sudden that takes the leverage away from colleges and universities. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. The interesting thing to me too is that college and university, in my experience, is a little bit too late to support youth now. Yep. So what I'm looking at is solutions that we could bring to high school. Do you have any ideas of how we could improve the same types of things, but at the high school level? It's it's interesting. Like I, I don't even want to answer this question because I, I feel like I just haven't put enough thought into it and actually have a real answer. My instinct says trying to teach kids more general knowledge that they actually need for real life and not a specialized knowledge in the high school system. I think they force you to go into, you know, a couple different streams, but those couple different streams might might not fit for some people, right? And they get forced into these streams. And on top of that, we're missing a lot of things in the system, right? Like financial literacy, for instance, um, is a big one. Um, for, for me, like home ec, like cooking, stuff like that was is a big one. Um, just general things that you need to know to function in society. Like I, I think high school kids should be should understand real estate, for instance, and they should understand taxes. And they, they I don't know, like just there's so many things that are just everyone's going to need to know. And I find myself at 25, you know, ferociously Googling, trying to figure out how to get my life together in terms of, you know, just basic things. So I think they force kids into specialized things such as like science and English and math and all these specialized things when they're just missing a lot of the basics. Right. And I think you give kids tastes of those streams to then decide if they want to go to college or university. But I think like they focus too much on them in high school. And so one of those things that I find when it's too specialized is that the youth just hate it. And so um, a lot of the kids that I work with are way on the fringes. They're the types that they're lucky to get some time and resource, but ultimately they probably drop out of high school. Like they end up taking the path of drugs, alcohol, and saying high school's not for me. Um, so what do you think is missing from the high school experience that leads to that kind of like disengagement with learning so young? Wow. <laughs> That's such a great question. Let's, let's think like, like if we were to, to make high school a place where those kids wanted to go, what do you think some ideas that we could do to improve the experience might be myself and probably you were able to fight it out and stick it out, you know, but for those who just can't, you know, what do you think we could do? I think just the overlying thesis for me is things just need to become a lot more segmented. Like I said, I think we're forcing into narrow streams and just a few of them. And I think every single human needs to be reverse engineered and helped 
to actually go along their path, right? So I think, you know, just spitting out a random number, say 50% of students will fit into those streams we have, but the other 50% are forced into them and therefore just rebel and don't care because it's just not built for them, right? Like for instance, my brother is a personal trainer. There was nothing in school that helped him become a personal trainer in terms of high school. Um, For me, there was one marketing class that I took, but, you know, I went to college or I went to university out of school for actually economics because I learned a lot more about economics in high school. And I thought that that was the path for me quickly realized it wasn't backtracked and took another path. Whereas I feel like if I was more exposed to that, to marketing specifically in high school, it would have been a no brainer for me. So I think if, if high school really wants to improve, they just need to be there for all types of people, not just a select group of people. And that's what I think. Yeah, I like that. I like how you mentioned the one path for people. That's cool. Um, so going back to your high school experience, I know one thing that you did, you mentioned having a passion for music. And I saw a cameo in a rap video from one Sir Scott Searle. Um, and that was cool to see him in that video. Yep. Bridging of learning and mainstream media interests is what I'm going for with this podcast. So, um, why do you think rap was such an important part of your upbringing? I think for me, even though I didn't grow up in like the streets or tough, you know, background or anything, I think just the pure, the purity of hip hop music, the honesty of hip hop music, the storytelling aspect of hip hop music has a lot of underlying notes that can be, um, you know, embraced by everyone, right? Such as, you know, not giving up, such as fighting for what you believe in, such as, um, you know, being there for your friends and, and people that you love. And, and it, I find like hip hop is just such an extreme of emotion. And I think that that connected with me. I think that I'm naturally a very sensitive person in, in all different ways. And so I think when I was listening to the music, I could just hear that that's some of these things that these people were saying, like they really meant it and it was really true. And then that would hit me and inspire me, even though maybe I can't relate to their story directly. I would kind of draw from that rawness and then I would apply it to my own life. Right. And for whatever reason, um, that was the genre that did it for me. Like I was obsessed with hip hop. Like when, when I was seven, I think, um, I got like an HMV gift card, you know, for my, for my birthday. And I bought like an Eminem CD and a ludicrous CD and, uh, I think Ciara CD and like, like 50 cent CD, all the clean versions, of course. But, I just naturally grab like when you're seven, like there's no other reason you, you, you do that other than like you genuinely are just gravitating towards it. So for whatever reason, like that, that, and that's always been the one thing that to this day, like I'm still obsessed with hip hop music. I just love it. I know Eminem has a lyric. It's something like, I may not be able to save a hundred million, but if I save one of the children or something, it makes it all worth it. But I think in that he's speaking to his lyrics about being able to have impact on people. One of your lyrics that I pulled was, can't waste my life for another day. Don't hate the world, but I hate the limits. So you wrote that. Yes. Your ability to write, I think, is something that can inspire a lot of youth. What do you think is important about writing, even though we have so much tech still today? Yeah, I think writing 
is one of those things that people overlook as a, as a, as a content style, right? People think videos and photos when they think of content, but I think if your talent or skill is writing, you should double down on it, especially in a world that's going completely picture video, because you're going to stand out if you actually have the talent, right? I think a really well-written piece on LinkedIn could do incredible. Um, and I also think when you do pair it with a photo or a video, the, the, the caption can be, you know, 40% of the battle. Um, I think for me, like even one that strikes me that I made was when I graduated, I wrote kind of a little manifesto about, and I knew I was going to do this like for, for months before I posted this photo, I knew that my grad photo, this is like the thesis of, of what I want to write was something along the lines of this was my university experience. This is how I thought of my university experience throughout the whole thing. I had a plan, an underlying plan. And never did I think that it would have ended this crazy. Like I thought I would have a job. I didn't think I'd own my own company. Um, but this is what I encourage other university students to consider as a mindset going through university, right? I didn't, I didn't rely, for instance, if you want to unpack it, I didn't rely on having that piece of paper to get me a job. I wanted that piece of paper more to, to give it to my family because no one in my family had ever graduated university um, and they, they were helping support me through it. So I felt kind of obligated once I came so far through it, I didn't want to finish it. But for me personally, while I was in university, I was going to hustle to get in the door, to get an internship, to get a job. Ideally, I just thought I was going to have a job lined up after university and it, it actually ended up me leaving a good job and starting my own company. So that's kind of what I encouraged other university students to do is like, yes, don't, you're going to get your degree. Great. But understand when you graduate, you now have all these people who are sitting with you with the exact same piece of paper. So what's going to separate you, right? Right. Going back to your passion. So yeah, sorry to kind of go off on a, on a tangent, but that that's what I think about copywriting is like, if you do have that skill, it can be super valuable. One thing I know that you've referenced is having a lot of people that you look up to, you connect with their music emotionally. If you had to pick one of the biggest influences on you, what would that artist be? Um, the two that 100% do it for me is A, Eminem. And this was more my earlier years. I liked the early Eminem um, in terms of just not, not caring what other people think and just going for it. And then the other one was Drake, because I think he showed me that it's okay to be, you know, macho and alpha, but also show your emotions and be vulnerable. One of my favorite things that Drake said in an interview was being able to show vulnerability is actually supreme confidence, right? There's a lot of people who think if you're vulnerable, you lack confidence, but he's like, no, being able to show vulnerability is actually supreme confidence because it's, it's a level above just being confident. It's being able to then, you know, put yourself down and still, you know, be there. So that's uh those kind of were my two influences yeah and i think that's cool i think so many people bring up those exact two depending on the age that they entered the hip-hop and rap scene kind of as a consumer um eminem definitely saved a lot of lives i think as crazy as that sounds um i'm sure drake it's the same right building that youth confidence which is what this is all about one thing that comes to mind when i think of eminem is slim shady and the idea of using a digital guise or this sort of like persona. Um, what do you think the benefits to that can be versus being, say, you know, uh, 
your regular name? I think if you want to build a personal brand around one facet of who you are as a human being, it's important to then create an alter, not an alter ego, but a name for that, right? So that you can then go back and be um, who you are, you know, uh, kind of a stupid example, but it's like Miley Cyrus and Hannah Montana, right? Hannah Montana was just one aspect of who she was as a true person. Then when she switched to Miley Cyrus, she was kind of her whole package, right? So I think for me, I want to build a personal brand that is all aspects, right? Like I want to have the business side, but I want to have the compassionate side. I want to have the helping side. I want to have the energetics. Like I want to be a well-rounded person as, as a personal brand, where some people just want to show one aspect of who they are and keep others private, which is completely a personal decision. But I think that is where then you'll go to kind of creating a separate brand, uh, a new name, something along those lines. One person who kind of bridges, like obviously it's mostly his name and stuff like that, but built a really cool brand around it is Mac Miller. And I noticed what's funny is as I was creeping through your uh, YouTube videos, some of your old music, which everybody should check out because it's good. Um, he was often the suggested underneath, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, obviously, Mac Miller passed away. Mental health comes into play when we think think of things like following our passion and lifestyle and, and all this sort of stuff. How do you think we can help youth kind of realize that you don't have to have all the negative things, yet you can still go into a game like rap? I think people like Mac Miller, people like Drake, who changed rap from being a hardcore gangster and having to make up your story if you weren't one. Um, to showing that you can just be your your true self, you know, as a uh, as a mixed race Jewish Canadian, you know, breaking out in the hip hop industry definitely wasn't, uh, you know, the normal the normal kind of look. Um, so I think for me, like I kind of said earlier in the interview, is I have to see somebody else do it. I, I don't think I can be an innovative pioneer and just do something that I've never seen before. So I think. A lot of people are like that as well. So I think you need those innovative people to kind of show you that um, there is an alternate way to do things. If you're in high school, for instance, you might be um, influenced by what you see uh, the the cool kids doing, right? So if those if those cool kids are doing stuff that is good, that's positive, that is that is beautiful, then um, I think that the rest of kind of the followers will be influenced that way too. And I think that's what Gary Vee talks about a lot is that one of his proudest things is seeing hardcore alpha males, you know, no, no, not talking about bottles and models, but talking about gratitude and em empathy and kindness and hard work and hustle. You know what I mean? And he's like, they weren't talking about that 10 years ago. And he's like, the more I see it, the more I realize that that might be one of the biggest impacts I leave on this world. So I think it, it does come from, the the leading pioneers innovators that people look up to um i think they have to kind of set an example and it, it, it's not their responsibility they can do whatever they want but i think in terms of being able to influence society that's kind of where it will come from yeah i think that's one of the biggest reasons for this podcast for me is the idea of saying bye to all the snake oil salesmen that exist in the world that these youth are going and buying their courses or consuming their content and paying for ebooks on how to kind of could be anything blow up on social media, start your business, whatever. Um, so I'd like to go at a scenario that I get often um, that ties right into what you do probably. And it's going into um, a youth jail 
and having an inmate, 17 years old, say, I really want to be a rapper, but everyone tells me it's not possible. What do you say to that kid? I say, initially, are any of them successful rappers? No. So why would their opinion be valid in this conversation? I would start by just trying to shift the perspective because that's a completely valid point. That's not me rawing you up and just firing you up. That's actually just changing your perspective to understand that you have to judge the messenger when you get a message. And you also have to understand that their advice is predicated on who they are, right? There's a lot of people that have built really nice businesses that I listen to what they say and I know that it's not for me, even though it worked for them because everything has to go through a self-awareness funnel. And then finally, my overarching perspective is you can go as far as your DNA will let you with the hard work put in the background, the 10,000 hour rule, for example, right? And once you come to terms with because some people go, well, uh, like that's, you know, I, I want to go further than my DNA. Well, when you come to terms with you can never do that, all you can do is get as good as your DNA will let you. Then I think you be you come to a point where you can accept that. And then if you're able to put in the work over time, like I, I've said this about music, for instance, I thought to myself, if I put in 10 hours a day for 10 years, it's inevitable. I'm going to blow up. You have to. You have to because you're just going to put in that work, right? Even if my talent isn't amazing, that amount of work will at least get me to my, my peak, right? Whether that's number one in the world or number a thousand on, on the iTunes charts, like who, who knows, but it'll get me to my peak and then I'll have, you know, real data to know how far I can take this thing. So I think perspective shift and then understanding that hard work will get you as far as you could, as far as you could ever go. And so that kid buys in. He's like, oh, Hayden's so supportive. I love this guy. Um, but what are the first steps when he says, okay, so what are the first things I should do to start my path towards becoming a rapper? Now that I believe I can, what are the first steps that kid takes? So if we want to go rap specific, um, I have my own opinions. But what I would say is, A, study the market. Try to find people that have done it already and then find the style in which they've done it that you think you can kind of emulate, right? Whether that's trying to make viral tracks and just trying to go the viral route or whether that's building brick by brick and just dropping 300 great songs that you love and building your brand around that. There's different routes to go. So kind of figure out the plan of attack that you want to go after um, and then just start putting in that work, right? I think it comes down to understanding that the expectation is that you need to do a lot of work. If you expect to do a lot of work, then all of a sudden doing a lot of work and not having results early becomes okay. And you become okay with it when that's your expectation. I think a lot of people put in hard work for three months and then give up because they don't see anything happen. Whereas I believe if I have the mindset of I'm going for 10 years before I even judge if it's working or not, then by the time I get to 10 years, it's already a foregone conclusion. It's already worked, right? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of different advice out there in the social media world. So I want to go through just a few debates in a row. You can kind of rapid fire answer the idea of quality versus quantity. Quantity, uh, because quality is subjective, quantity isn't. So if you put out 10 pieces a week, you know that that's 10 pieces a week. Whereas if you put out 10 quality level, then you're just you're just a, you're just making a subjective decision, right? The amount of times 
I've run campaigns for people and what they thought would work and what I thought would work didn't work. It was actually the other shit that we tested, right? And it's because we're letting the market tell us what's quality and that's not subjective. That's actually the truth. So I think if you just go fast and do quantity, the market will tell you what they like and then you have the real insights to then build more quality that's not subjective. Right. Monetization versus putting out everything for free. Short-term versus long-term success, what do you want, right? Monetization online, you'll make your quick your quick money, but over time, if you're not providing real value in comparison to the market, right? You can be great, but if you're charging 40 bucks and somebody else is just as good charging free, then all of a sudden, you don't have that value, right? So you make your money, but over time, people understand that you're in it to make money off of them. You're not in it for their best interest. So as soon as another character comes around, that's in it for the best interest of the human, they'll get them. And then on the back end, they can monetize them through other channels, right? For instance, my favorite one is build a brand and then do speeches, right? Or do a podcast where a sponsor pays you, right? So I don't, I never really want to monetize my audience. Um, I want to build an audience and then monetize sponsors and other businesses through my agency, for instance, and just build the audience. Cause I think the audience is the leverage to kind of do whatever you want. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think one thing where you get some legitimate arguments is the psychology of people paying for something versus having a sea of free content. Because we all know that YouTube, you could go for anything you need to learn. Um, you mentioned your brother being a personal trainer. That's a good example. It's close to for me because I used to have people say, well, just tell me what programs to use. And I could print it for them in 30 seconds. But having someone supporting them adds that element of it's worth paying for, you know? Um, so it's a cool debate, but I definitely think long-term. I don't judge. Like if like some people want to make, you know, tons of money in the next whatever amount of years and then be done or whatever and, and go do something else. Like it, it just comes down to your ambition and understanding what your actions are going to do in leading up to that ambition, right? So, because for me, like kind of going back to what you said about Eminem, where he said, you said, you know, as long as he helps just one kid or whatever, that's all he cares about. I think for me, admiration is the most addictive drug of all time. You know, I think to a certain extent, money will stop becoming exciting, whereas admiration will never stop. I think the millionth person that comes up and admires you is just as, you know, chilling as the first person. Whereas, you know, maybe the hundredth hundred millionth dollar isn't as exciting as the first millionth dollar, right? So I think that's why if you chase, you know, admiration, legacy, things that you can never actually accomplish, that's what will keep you fired up forever. Yeah, I like that. Um, the idea of being niche and really focused on a topic versus going broad. Both can work. I think once again, it has to map to your ambition and, and what you want to do, right? I always tell people like, do something that you're passionate about because as you build it, will allow you to then build a career around something you love, which will allow you to go harder than people who are in it for the wrong reasons, which will allow you to rise to the top. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that because if you want to go niche, that can work. And if you want to go general, that can work as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have an opinion on it. I think... In some ways, I'm niche. I think in some ways, I'm general. So I don't know. I think it's it, that's a subjective one. There's no right or wrong answer. 
Well, and one thing that I do see is people deciding to go niche because they think it's best for algorithms and stuff. And I see they quickly lose steam and energy. And I can only imagine they're struggling with keeping going because they don't want to actually do that thing, you know? Yeah, I think everyone's niche to some extent. Like if you look at David Dobrik, for instance, he makes funny videos, which is somewhat niche, but he's also like in the humor category which is somewhat broad, right? So I think niche and broad is like a, a gray space because I don't think anyone's truly broad. Like maybe Bill Gates is truly broad in the terms in, that he can talk about anything, but most people are pretty niche and relative. So I think in, in order to actually know what you're talking about, you kind of have to be niche. You can't really know everything. So yeah, yeah. I think yeah. like what what I usually tell people is if you're in a, cause even like, for instance, like fashion is a niche, but it's a crowded niche. Right. So I tell people like, if you're going to go into the fashion niche, you have to then segment deeper and create something that makes you a one of one within the fashion niche. Right. So I was talking to someone the other day who's a fashion influencer. Um, and I was telling her like, you're a fashion influencer, you, 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 no offense, like you're not that unique, right? Like there's tons, tons, unlimited of fashion influencers. What you have to do is then take your fashion, your style and add something to it that becomes you, right? And as stupid as for instance, if you just had like a pineapple randomly in the background of every photo and you became the fashion person, but the pineapple was your vibe and you use that emoji or like, if you're a really good artist and you kind of digitally draw maybe around your body in every fat, all of a sudden your fashion page that looked like everybody else's now is a one of one and you can create a unique audience. It might not be a billion, billion person audience, but you can have your hundred thousand followers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so along the lines of that, it's a similar topic, but the idea of planting flags across all platforms versus focusing on one platform a comes down to ambition and happiness if you want to be the biggest in the world you're going to have to go on all platforms if you want to focus on happiness and you hate writing and you hate business then don't go on linkedin if you don't want to you know have a younger demo because you want to sell something for older people don't go on tiktok like it comes down to ambition and happiness um but if you want to become as big as possible. You have to go on all platforms. You have to understand the financial investment and the time investment that that's going to take. Um, and once you, you know, put that into perspective, then you have to execute on it. So I, like I said, like, it's hard to give just a one answer. I think it, it goes through the self-awareness bottleneck. Um, and then every, every, everything can be different. Like I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, are you building this because it makes you super happy and you just want it to be a hobby? Or are you building it because you want to make a massive business? Okay. If it's a hobby and you just love it, just do it. Don't, don't ask me any more questions. Just keep having fun. If you want to build a massive business, understand if you want to build the quickest business, you're going to have to potentially compromise on authenticity because you're going to have to, you know, try to go viral and try to do all these things to build quick. But if you want to build a big business, but you're patient, you know, you, you can throw out your unique, authentic content and slowly, brick by brick, you'll build your audience, right? So like I said, it kind of maps to ambition and then like expectations and putting it all into perspective. 
So if you were to choose just one platform, you were told that you're only allowed one moving forward. Uh, what would that one be? It's tough, man. Like, I think I would go Facebook just because it's everything to everybody. You know, I think Instagram's culture. Um, I think YouTube is long form video. Um, I think Twitter is short form thoughts. Um, I think Snapchat is its own thing. I think TikTok is, but I think Facebook encompasses everything. And it also has every single person in the world really on it, right? So I think with Facebook, you can do the most. You can be, you can write long captions or you can make long form videos or short form videos or pictures or quotes or whatever you want to do. And the whole world's on it as well. And it's very shareable, right? There's that share button and then it comes up in other people's feeds, which Instagram doesn't really have. YouTube, it, it, it doesn't really have it either. Um, I guess Twitter has the retweet, but it's only really words and small little things. But I would say Facebook just because it provides the opportunity to really do whatever you want and the whole world's on it. And so your tag is DM me to grow your business. Uh, this is the point where I need you to brag a little bit for people. What do you do to grow people's business? Um, something that we kind of touched on a little earlier in the podcast was allowing the market to tell you what works, right? So what I do is I first for my clients set expectations that upfront, we will probably lose money as an investment to test a bunch of things. 80% will lose money, maybe 10% will break even and maybe 10% will be slightly profitable, maybe really profitable, who knows. But I, I set expectations that in the beginning, we're investing to understand the market. In other words, throw out a ton of ideas and look at the numbers and understand what's working. Once we understand what's working, we launch the next phase of testing. We take what's worked and we expand on it again. Once again, a lot of these, even though it, the, the initial bubble is what's worked, a lot of these expansions may still fail, but we'll get closer. The, 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 over time, we understand what really works and then we scale it. So upfront, it's, it's an investment. But on the back end, once we have things that are profitable, you can usually scale them pretty easily. And then once you get the data of whatever you're trying to optimize for, so if you're trying to get sales or get leads or build brand awareness, once you have that data, you can then plug that into Facebook and tell them to use the data of the current people that you have to go find new ones that look like your current customers. And then it create, and then basically that's using Facebook's AI system to just take over the targeting aspect, which takes the guessing out of it for us. And we just have to focus on now the content piece. So I say all that to say, if you can get through the initial phase of testing, then I, I kind of have a process that can get us to a point of profitability and then scaling it. So, and, and I always just set expectations. I want my clients to be comfortable with potentially losing money for three months you know, expecting to maybe break even at the six month point. Like I really, I, I really set expectations because my brand is the most important thing to me. I don't want to make short term dollars knowing that they are going to give up after month three, but I'll, I'll get three months of money. Like I want every single person that works with me, even if it doesn't work to say, Hey, he told us it may not work. And so we took that risk. We made that investment. It didn't work. And at least that on my brand, that's an honest person. That's a person that you know, is, is in it for the right reasons. And that's for me, a parallel I can draw back to my personal training stuff too. Cause I would tell clients like, look, we're working together for four months, a few times a week. 
because I'm putting my brand on this and you're going to see success. I promise. Yeah. Let's get to work. They say, oh, it's too expensive. Oh, I can't do it. These sorts of things. It's like, okay, well, it's fine. It's not a sales thing, but come back when you're ready to help me build the brand, which also helps you crush it in your own life. Um, so if people aren't ready for that, then what would you tell potential clients they should do to get ready to be able to work with you? Like what are things people should do on their own first? It really depends whatever their reason is for not being able to work. But if it's a financial thing, I would say, look, go watch 20. Like what I'm doing is saving you time, right? Like you can learn everything that I do. You're just going to have to put in, you know, a hundred to a thousand hours on the internet of searching and learning. And usually as a business owner and operator, it's much more effective to just pay somebody who already has done that work to then just execute right away. So that's why I tell people if it's a money thing, like I'll, I'll give them great advice to, uh, to get them off the ground. Um, if it's a disbelief thing, I'll usually challenge their disbelief and say, perfect. If you don't believe me, I'm not going to just try to talk you into believing me. I'll say, look, what's your email newsletter converting at? What's your door-to-door -door mail? What's your billboard converting at? What's your radio ad converting at? 90% of the time it's, I don't know, which then creates its own problem. But if they do know, then it goes, okay, perfect. Now take that conversion rate and makes an investment into marketing digitally. And we'll measure that and we'll put them side by side. And it won't be my word against your word. It'll be the data, right? And I think that clients feel a lot more comfortable when I'm not trying to tell them it works. I'm saying, let's, let's let the numbers tell us what works, right? Because the numbers aren't subjective. It's the market. So that's kind of the two different routes I'll go um, based on common scenarios of why clients can't work. But yeah. So kind of prepping one's profile or brand for investing in ads and scaling their business. I think one thing that Facebook I hear a lot gets confusing for people is the idea of a profile, a page, groups, and all these different aspects. Uh, what clarity could you give people who are going to go put their business on Facebook right now? So if it's business, I would say, okay, make a business page. What you want to do organically, so not on the paid side, what you want to do is put out content that represents the full scope of your brand, right? So if there's really four pillars to your brand, rotate content between those four pillars, maybe post a piece that includes two of those pillars, XYZ, build the actual public facing brand. And I'm not talking build it in terms of grow your following. I'm talking just have it there. So that when people see, say, an ad and they click on your page before going to your website, you have a nice brand. It's very clear. It's very concise. It really communicates to your target audience. Um, in terms of groups, I don't really deal with those, to be completely honest. Um, and then in terms of your personal Facebook, it doesn't really matter. So it's just really your Facebook page. And then same concept with your Instagram page. Even more important on Instagram because when you go to the page, it's the full grid view. Whereas on Facebook, it's, it's a lot more scroll to see everything. So the the aesthetic on Instagram is more important than on Facebook. Um, but at the end of the day, if you have a great product, you can use paid to get in front of people that potentially could like that product. And like I said, it's so cheap to do so. It's four to five dollars, you know, if you're in the US or Canada and have a relatively large market, uh, four to five bucks for a thousand impressions. So to come up in front of a thousand people. So hundred bucks is like twenty thousand impressions, right? So if you it, it, it if your margin on a product is $20, right? If you spend a hundred bucks, you, you get in front of 20,000 people and you just need five of them to buy. 
and you break even. Twenty thousand five, like it's 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 insanity. It's insanity. And so, and and then the craziest part is, is unlike a billboard or something else, it's like you can then instantly double that by just increasing your budget to two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars. Whereas on a billboard, like you can't just reach more people with the click of a mouse, right? So. It's just, it's, it's such a smarter system and there's so many more details of ways that you can target and build out that just make it, you know, uncomparable to traditional media until those costs come down. Yeah. I think definitely people would be silly to not invest in it. It's just continuing to build that awareness of how effective it can be. And I think you're, you're well on your way. Thank you. It's not so much a personal question, but it is an interesting thing that I've picked up on. Um, I think that you at a relatively young age in your career are very productive, but also professional. Why do you think that is? Where does that come from? Um, productivity just comes down to my ambition and the understanding that hard work is is the whole game. And so I I just work so hard. <laughs> like there's nothing else to it. And then professionalism, it's, it's interesting. Like I see both sides of the fence. Like I think to some extent I'm not professional and to some extent I am professional. Like when we want to talk business and talk marketing, I can hang, I, I can talk all about it all day. I know exactly what to say. I know exactly how it works. And and, and that's actually really one of my competitive advantages of what I do is I, I haven't just like watched some YouTube videos and understand a system that somebody else has told me. I actually understand the guts and I've come up with, with ways to navigate it myself from actually understanding what's happening in the system. And if something doesn't work, I'm able to then try a new strategy and try a new strategy just by understanding what's happening in the system. So I think that that has given me a, a little bit of an advantage. But I would argue then on the other side, I am you know, not fully professional. Like I, I wear whatever I want. I talk how I want to on social media. But I do think that that's where the world's going because when – we were younger, we grew up in hip hop culture, which was very anti-establishment, right? And that's why I think you're seeing a lot of these businesses these days be, you know, t-shirts and jeans and more laid back and just, you know, on social media, kind of having fun and building, building personal brands. I think that the world is opening up to that. And also, since we're all connected in the internet, we're all kind of exposing exactly who we are. Whereas before there was a lot more in the shadows. So you kind of have to go out with, you know, your suit on and your, your business face and all this stuff where I think is like people now realize that it's all bullshit and you can just be who you want. Right. Yeah. Coronavirus has added to that. You see these people on the news and uh, Ellen becoming a YouTuber and stuff. hundred percent. I just have the same kind of theme that I wrap up with a scenario and then a couple theme questions for you. So one is the scenario is you get a chance to come in and guest teach for me. And uh, you meet an 18-year-old girl. She's just recovering from addiction, but has this huge goal to start a YouTube channel and podcast about starting her own vintage clothing store. What advice would you give her for venturing out into this world when she has no experience and she's about to Google what to do? What could Hayden tell her to do? What I would say is if you're starting a vintage clothes store, in other words, you've never done it, so you don't know what you're, what you're talking about or what you're doing – don't portray yourself on YouTube as an expert. Portray yourself as an 18-year-old girl who's just coming out of addiction and learning how to build a vintage clothes store. And all of a sudden, that takes the pressure off knowing what you're talking about or knowing what you're doing. 
And then instead of creating content, you can just document the process of learning, right? And I think once again, it's, it's a perspective shift. Once you shift that perspective of you don't have to pretend you're an expert. You can be an amateur and now you're interesting to watch build. People want to watch you build this, right? And then on top of that, I would say you're building for long-term kind of recallability. You're not building to go viral tomorrow. I think you want to build a vintage clothes store that's going to be successful. And then when people down the road who know your store get to look back on your journey, it just adds to the whole story and makes it more special. So I think it really just becomes shifting that perspective. It's not actually like any tactics or anything crazy like that. And managing expectation, like as soon as you don't expect to be successful like that or blow up like that, then you're you're cool with just rolling, right? And long term, then it come it all comes back. I think people just don't make it to that long term point, and then they think it would never work. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, I can give you every little example, every single example of I want to be a blank that I've seen youth go through over the years, and almost every single one of them give up. And that's really why I'm trying to model and figure things out to show them how not to give up. We'll get more and more people there. Um, so, a couple theme questions that I go through with everyone. One is you give next generation advice. To, so, to that next generation coming up, whether it's your own future kids or, um, you know, children, what do you leave behind in terms of advice? Do what you want to do, period. Like a lot of people have told me to do this, to do this, to do this. And I'm fortunate that I think innately in me or, you know, through who I look up to, I've just always had the ability to do what I want to do and not be influenced by what other people tell me to do. Um, and that's what I want other people to do. I want other people to, if they want to do X, Y, Z, go do it, you know, because I think even if it fails, regret is worse than failure. Wondering what if is worse than failure and wondering what if is like long-term sadness, right? You know, cause if you get to the point where, you know, you can't do it anymore, you're old and, and you're kind of done, you can never go back. Right. Whereas if you failed, it kind of creates closure. And allows you to move forward from it. So I would say, take those jumps, do what you want. That would really be it. And one thing that you are learning right now. One thing that I'm learning right now is to work on my business, if that makes sense. You know, I think I've spent a lot of time working in my business and building up kind of the foundation of clients and systems and expectations, but stepping outside of the work and looking at, the, the bigger picture of, okay, where are the opportunities here? Where do I grow? How can I grow that way? Why would I want to grow that way? And really looking at the long term, I think I've spent so much just being in the present and in the day to day, which I think was the right move in the initial phase. But now that I've kind of built that out, it's about finding some time to then study, okay, what's the next progression? What's that next big thing, like next step for you? It's perfect. So my whole thing right now is finding clarity for myself in terms of my message to my audience. What's a question that you would ask me that I should answer? Yeah, I would ask you, how do you define success? Now, honestly, I think it goes back to your next gen advice a little bit, right? Like finding the ability, the strength, the courage, the bravery to um, follow your own path and overcome the obstacles that are going to get in your way socially, emotionally, and whatever, your family, school, blah, blah, blah. 
to be able to follow your own path that brings you vitality, not necessarily happiness. It's one thing that bugs me about Gary Vee is they're constantly going back to happiness. Sadness and I like how you say it because you say map right? to your happiness. And these other things like finding vitality, mapping towards happiness by being able to follow your one passion is definitely success to me. That's amazing. And how do you measure it if you can? Yeah, I mean, if we know how to measure it, then I think we can bottle that and sell it and grow the biggest business ever. For one, and that's where I actually struggle with my own business uh, aspirations right now, is that um, it's hard to measure it beyond one-to-one conversations. I think as like a coach, counselor, best friend, colleague, you can easily measure it just by, it's not mind stuff though, you know, everyone wants the mind answer. It's more like that hard answer. You can tell when people are waking up every day excited to go do their thing, where the negative things that get in the way don't bug them as much because they know by continuing through on this passion, they're they're doing what they love to do. So those are measurable, but they're very qualitative. And I don't know how to quantify it yet, but maybe you can't. Yeah, 100%. As a wrap up, where and why should people find you online? You can find me at Hayden Cashin, H-A-Y-D-E-N-C-A-S-H-I-O-N on Instagram and LinkedIn. Those would kind of be the the business avenues for me. Um, And you should follow me if you want to stay up to date with how you can market your business in the present moment. Well, I like that. It's clear, concise, and tells your story brand. So it's awesome. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. I'm sure it'll help a lot of people. I appreciate that a lot. We should do... uh, should do a photo or i'm going to store it yeah for sure that was a fun one all of our guests are doing such amazing things it's hard to get all these incredible stories out to the world so please pass it along thank you to our guest hayden he's another outstanding role model for any of you thinking of launching a business especially in leveraging social media it's our goal to have this in every school in the world so please do subscribe leave a review but most importantly tell someone who might want to be an entrepreneur that they should listen until the next episode of the learn podcast all the best and remember just keep learning